Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you'll need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What up, Fightful fam, and welcome to One Two Punch. Player one, Shaquille Majui. Player two, the mustachioed maverick himself, Drake Ryzen Riggs. I could go on. The villain of MMA media. I could go on for days. How are you doing, sir? Good, Shaq. Happy to be here with you, man. I know we were joking on Twitter earlier, but this is a good day to be with you, my friend. Uh, you know, got to stick together here in the MMA media world, and I feel like we've always done that. So I'm happy to be on the show. You know, Fightful doing great things. You're doing great things. Love this show in general. So happy to be here, my man. Yeah, sorry to the viewers who uh, are seeing my little fruit flies fly in front of the webcam. I don't know what's going on. I'm trying... The spiders are trying to do their job around the house, but clearly I need to get better ones. Uh, yes, Drake, this is the five-year anniversary of your foray into MMA media. Uh, how many years in did you start regretting the decisions you made up to this point? Uh, years? <laughs> you mean weeks? <laughs> um, nah, it's, uh, you know, times are tough sometimes, of course. But, you know, essentially doing doing what I love, you know, covering the sport I love. So I, I can complain, but you know, I really shouldn't because it could be way worse. So <laughs> yes, we, we can <laughs> we all are. complain and we're going to get to some of the great work we, you do. But first, let me just catch everyone up on what's going on. This is one, two punch. If you listen every week, thank you as always for tuning in. That goes to our YouTube viewers, as well as our audio only downloaders. If it's your first time, this is one, two punch. It's news talk on a win lose draw system what that means is we're going to sign some of the week's biggest winners and losers before drawing up a preview for ufc 256 so without further ado let me hit this animated intro and there we go quick reminder guys hit us up in the live chat leave a super chat donation it's the best way you can help help us grow leave one super chat donation we'll get to all your questions statements whatever you've got throughout the entirety of the program hit subscribe tap the notification bell leave a like on this video all those small acts go to help us get in front of more and more eyes and we're nearing our goal 3,000 subscribers before the end of the year we're less than 100 away so if you can help us out would mean the world to us okay that is enough of me shilling out trying to get you guys to do stuff let's get to the action 
Uh, first up, let's start with our winners. Now, admittedly, this is a uh, subject that I'm not the most qualified, but few are. John Nash is one of those good folks. UFC is currently in a class action lawsuit against fighters ranging from 2010 to 2017. It was announced yesterday that uh, the fighters have received class action certification, and now about 1,200 fighters between 2010 and 2017 can get involved in this class action lawsuit against the UFC that's ranging from, I think, $800 million in damages to over a billion. We often talk in the MMA media about sort of, we kind of got lethargy when it comes to the possibility of fighters banding together, unionizing, doing anything to really improve the livelihood of fighters in the sport. How big of a win do you think it is that we now have a federal judge who is prepared to at least explore this issue further? I mean, it's a big step in the right direction, right? You know, it's it's easy to feel more hopeful after something like this. But for me, it's like, I don't know. I still I still need to see something like really happen. And of course, this, like I said, a good step in the right direction. But it's hard to imagine it ever, you know, going through at this point to where maybe we do see a union or something that, you know, really helps these fighters get what they deserve which is uh, more money than they're making. That's just a no-brainer at this point. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's great, of course, and, you know, very happy to see that things are being taken more seriously. But um, I don't know. Well, well, I'm not sure if it'll lead to anything. I hope it does. But it's kind of like I need to see it to believe it that really real progress is being made. And I don't know if, if we're there yet. I mean, I'm totally not educated as well as I should be on this, like you were saying. But, um you know, how do you feel about it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess that's what I'm here to talk about. Share my yeah. feelings. Uh, I mean, listen, at this point, I think any sort of victory that those fighters that are fighting the good fight for, you know, more control over their careers, I try to be, you know, perhaps blinding, blindingly optimistic about, right? It's been... Like, we, we get here every now and then, right? We have The Athletic come out with that anonymous survey regarding, you know, uh, fighters' rights and unionization. We had guys like Kay Jan Johnson and women like Leslie Smith start Project Spearhead. We've had the likes of John Fitch, Kung Lee, a, a bunch of whom who are involved in this particular lawsuit, pushing for things like the Ali Act in MMA. Uh, even this year, I thought, you know... John Jones, Jorge Masvidal, all these big name fighters start speaking out and you think to yourself, like, maybe this is it. Maybe maybe we needed these sort of mainstream stars to get behind the movement to see some sort of real change. Even Conor McGregor at one point seemed like he was hopping on the bandwagon and it, ultimately none of it led anywhere because MMA is this individual sport and once these fighters get close to what it is that they want from the UFC they sort of jumped ship on the larger picture. We had, you know, Bjorn Reb- Rebney, Donald Cerrone. And, and who, like, can you think of a fighter that is more closely tied to the UFC in terms of, you know, uh, cohesiveness than Donald Cowboy Cerrone? Remember, <laughs> he was at one point with George St. Pierre, TJ Dillashaw, Bjorn yep. Rebney on this MMA association. And that went nowhere, right? So I understand that it's easy to get jaded to the possibility, but I, I think you kind of need moments like this to keep hope alive. Yeah, I mean, definitely, but it's, it's just, it's like you said, man, you know, it seemed like we were making some real traction with Jones really putting his foot down and then Masvidal and everything. 
but also circumstantially, I don't know if the timing of the year and what's going on, that really helped, you know, maybe it would have been different if things were more normal and, you know, people weren't taking business hits left and right, no matter how big you are. Um, But then at the same time, you mentioned like the athletic piece, which I think was really telling just kind of to how selfish, you know, fighters kind of are essentially more so looking out for themselves than trying to get together. Cause we've seen this, you know, so many times where, all right, let's make a group, let's get together and really do something. And it fizzles out for whatever reason, because if one person, they get a benefit in some way, like, all right, I'll take it. Sorry guys. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to burn my bridge. Um, even though I like this idea, I got to look out for myself a little bit more. So that's the thing is like, I don't know how many people really care about it. And if you look at the athletic, you know, thing, the, the survey that they did, it seemed like most of them are fine with yeah. trying to, you know, figure things out all by themselves and just don't want to even take the risk, which is upsetting. But, you know, I can understand it from a certain point just because when you don't even have the option, yeah. you know, to, you know, to put things together, it's, uh, it's tricky. So hopefully, hopefully things do improve here going forward. Yeah. And I would, I guess the, the source of my optimism comes from the fact that, you know, these, let's be honest, you've interviewed fighters. I've interviewed fighters. They are not the most organized people. They've got, you know, a primary singular pursuit for the most part to be the best fighter they can be. And unfortunately, I think that is sometimes to the detriment of business savvy, uh, consciousness of the value of certain media opportunities all, all these things but that's why some of them have managers to help them out in that in those regards um i'm hoping that something like a class action lawsuit is easy enough for them to get behind where it's like all i need to do is put my name behind this and and from that hopefully they don't just get monetary compensation but hopefully it starts opening the doors for wide sweeping changes in the sport that don't really require more than a thumbs up from them. I, I I don't think they want to put in the legwork, but I'm glad there are some fighters who are, and hopefully it benefits the entire MMA community in the long run. Yeah, well, I mean, you just look at look at the people who are involved in like the, the lawsuit stuff right now, like Nate Quarry, Wakong Lee. Um, there's probably somebody else that I'm forgetting that you mentioned there, but you know, those are the two guys that come to mind, especially Nate Quarry, like retired guys, right? These are fighters who don't have an immediate impact to what they're fighting for like imagine if it was you know these donald Cerrone's or guys who are active still who were trying to do this ufc would probably really make it a little bit difficult for them and who knows maybe even flat out cut them like we saw with uh, leslie smith which was uh pretty much how that went down yeah. so uh these are guys who have really nothing to lose at this point so it's great to see them fighting for it the way that they are um so yeah i think that's uh that's a big part of it too you know just considering the positions of these people let's move on to uh some of the cuts we've seen and we're going to touch on these more so on the loser section this week because like ufc president dana white said a whole lot of fighters are getting the boot toward you know from now until the end of the year and dana white said that it's not malicious it's not a business practice it's just the end of the year they've got an inflated bloated roster and this is what has to happen and i believe him this time you know we see these cuts i think just about every year uh keyword this time and when you look at the roster i I think luke thomas made a really good point which is ufc fight there are more ufc fighters under the ufc banner than there are nba players in the entire league the ufc does not need this many fighters i understand the cuts and it's going to be unfortunately 
to the detriment of most, you know, a Rachel Ostovich who has a great social media following, so I'm hoping she can bounce back strong. But the Matt Wymans of the world, there's a lot of guys that are going to get cut and either retire, like we saw with Matt, or head down onto smaller regional promotions. But there are a few guys with enough star power to leverage this into something valuable still. So I guess this is sort of a trepidatious win. But what are your thoughts on Anthony Rumble Johnson heading to Bellator? We were primed for a UFC return that basically never happened, and now he signed a multi-fight deal with Scott Coker's promotion. Do you think this is ultimately a win for him? Um, I mean, yeah, it's kind of hard to say it isn't because, you know, Anthony Johnson, obviously a very good, notable name, a guy who you, if you want knockouts, you're getting knockouts with this guy, no matter who he's facing. Um, the, the problem for me would be like, if you just think about the division and he's fought, you know, most of the guys, I mean, at least the ones that come immediately to mind, you know, Ryan Bader, Phil Davis, um, he hasn't fought Corey Anderson. You know, there are some fresh matchups, but you know, he has he's fought some of these guys who are there now. Um, but in terms of a name and bringing eyeballs in, I think he's. I mean, he should still have some good pull. I, I mean, you know, everyone remembers him for being this incredibly, arguably the biggest power puncher that we've ever seen, aside from Francis Ngannou. And he's lighter than Francis Ngannou, so you know, he stands out a little bit more for that reason. Oh, man, I wish we would have got to see that fight happen, <laughs> just from a, a power knockout standpoint and everything but um yeah i think it's hard not to say it's a win especially when we were expecting rumble to come back to the ufc like that's that's kind of the big part is it looks like oh wow for some reason he he wants to go there like especially when there was the we hear it's a mutual agreement whatever that means even though if we saw aaron bronstetter's interview with dana see it was a little weird how he reacted to uh talking about rumble there might be a little bit more to that but then Rumble, when he was talking about it last night, seemed, you know, totally fine and nice about things. Just Dana reacted a little bit weird, but um, just how it sounds, it seems like it, it works out for the best for Rumble and like he wanted to go there more for whatever reasons. And when when that is the case, yeah, he, hey, he wanted you, so that's a win, <laughs> you know. And and he adds to a division that Bellator continually continually tries to argue is better than the UFCs, so. He helps that case for sure. <laughs> and I, I like the make. You know, I I think Bellator could have still benefited from Anderson Silva being in that promotion. But I like the direction that Bellator's rosters are sort of shaping up to be. Obviously, you've got like the featherweights and the lightweights. They're very strong with young talent top to bottom. I feel like light heavyweight is starting to look kind of interesting. You have a, a genuine modern day champion in Vadim Nemkov. You still have these sort of name value older guys like Ryan Bader, Anthony Johnson, who can still go in the, hopefully, we'll see what Rumble looks like in the mix. I, <laughs> yeah. I like the direction that the bigger weight classes over in Bellator are taking. Uh, ultimately, yeah, I feel like Rumble's probably going to get compensated well enough in Bellator. I don't know why uh, negotiations with the UFC sort of fell apart, but I, I here's the thing. Rumble's been out of the game. He's not getting any younger. And although his best run was truly, truly impressive, a lot of his career wasn't, right? It, it took him a while to get to find his comfort zone at light heavyweight, to a slightly lesser extent heavyweight. But I don't know how long of a lifespan Anthony Rumble Johnson will have in, would have had in the UFC from 2021 onwards. I think in Bellator, you might be able to get a little more out of him. 
Yeah, and I think especially if he wants to go to heavyweight too, like I think he would do fine probably in in both divisions, but he's going to do more fine in Bellator's heavyweight division just because a lot of older guys, um, I mean, that's typical for heavyweight, but uh, just a weaker division if we're being totally honest. And then as for, yeah, that's a good comparison though with the light heavyweight divisions because, you know, the UFC light heavyweight division is shaping up. It has gotten better over, you know, recent years. And at a point it was really not good. It was probably the worst division in MMA if we're being honest. But uh, yeah, there's some really good guys in there now who could definitely give him some fits in. You know, who knows how a Glover rematch even looks like? That guy <laughs> maybe could beat him now, especially with all the time away that Johnson has had. But um, the thing is, too, like, he never really took that much damage. So I don't really have any reason to believe that he should not be able to last, you know, going forward for, you know, who knows, maybe five more years. I don't know if that's just what he wanted, would want to do out of interest-wise and depending on how many people he fights and the freshness of matchups and all that. But um, yeah, I think he, he should be able to fight for a good while if that's what he wants to do, just to all things considered. But um, yeah, I don't know, man. It, it is an interesting concept, though, whenever these guys come back. And especially a guy like you mentioned, Rumble, who this isn't like a GSP or a Dominic Cruz coming back where they've came back to the highest level and still been able to perform. Rumble was very good, especially in this lightweight, this light heavyweight run that he had recently. But he's never been like a championship caliber guy and for more of his career than not. You know what I mean? So if there's a time that he will be able to come back and do that, it would be now as opposed to if this happened during his welterweight days or something crazy, like <laughs> we remember he was at welterweight. So um, yeah, it'll be very interesting to watch how it plays out, but um, I expect people will definitely still be afraid of his power. So, I mean, that's always in his favor. hundred <laughs> percent. Uh, before we move on to our last winner of today, apparently the YouTube notifications did not go off, but people are slowly starting to roll into the live chat. So I'll give another reminder, guys. Sorry, YouTube will YouTube. What can I say? A <laughs> um, little bit of a new system here with the live chats. Uh, please leave a super chat donation, big or small, whatever your heart can, desires. And uh, we will read all your statements, all your questions from top to bottom, no matter how many you leave. You know, do us a little solid uh, and, and we'll try our best to return the favor. Of course, though, we thank you guys so much for being here, engaging in the chat. It's always good to see our regulars. Uh, hit the subscribe. I mean, I, I'm sure a lot of people in the live chat have, but if you haven't, please hit subscribe, tap the notification bell. We are less than 80 subscribers away from our 3000 goal for the end of the year. That would be very much appreciated. Okay. Let's talk. Uh, let's touch very quickly on Bellator 254 Thursday night. We have a new women's champion. Juliana Velasquez beats Alimale McFarlane. Uh, one of the sort of crown jewels for a long time of Bellator's women's divisions. Did you see this coming? I did. I actually did predict uh, that Juliana was going to pull this off. I, I want to say I might have predicted like a split split decision to be specific, but um, no, I man, if you just you look at the matchup go, going into it, and this was a fight where they were each of their toughest opponents yet, but um. I think that just the matchup and what skills that Juliana presented for Alima were going to be a problem. And, you know, essentially it showed up to be that way, but I think it was more so because of Juliana's game plan. Like I thought she would be a lot more aggressive than she was in this fight, but she fought very smart. And then where Alima was supposed to have success, she did have success. She got her down a little bit later. If she would have tried to do that early on in the fight, who knows how much differently it would have been. Uh, would have been I I will say though <laughs> that I did actually I did score this fight for Alima and a lot of people got mad at me for that and I admitted fully 
that if Big John is saying something other than what I'm saying, he's right because he literally helped make the rules and everything. So I will admit that I was wrong in this opinion. I will have to rewatch and everything, but I take his word for it. Not mine. It was very close, though, either way, I thought. But um, of course, the popular opinion is that Juliana won. And I have no problems with that either. And especially, hey, guys, I'm just calling it how I see it, how I saw it. So I did predict Juliana, too. So <laughs> to defend myself a little bit there. But um, yeah, I mean, impressive stuff by her. Not surprised by it. It'll be interesting to see how uh, Alima comes back. But big congratulations, Juliana. She deserves this because she's one of the most underrated flyweights in the world. So a hundred percent. And I think this is ultimately not a bad thing for women's flyweight. I think to some degree, Alima Lay McFarlane. Now, of course, you know, going on a huge run will always sort of boost your star power. But I think Alima Lay McFarlane's star power has sort of peaked-ish for a while now. You know, she's been the uh, centerpiece of a division for a really long time. And I feel like it was about time for someone to really challenge her to get another name into that division. Because if Juliana, uh, Juliana Velasquez can now build a winning streak and a dominance as champion, you have two premier women's flyweights on your roster. You have Chris Cyborg. Um, I, I think the roster is starting to fill out nicely. And I feel like 2021 is going to be a good year for Bellator. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, especially at flyweight, you got to look at especially the overall MMA landscape, you know, Bellator and with their flyweight division in particular, they have probably been the biggest winners if we're going to go like in terms of overall and with the divisions and everything, because they really added some good talent. You know, of course, Conor Watanabe, who was just signed, uh, you know, just this last month and everything. A shameless plug. I did speak with her. You can go check that out on MyMMAnews.com. Um, and Vanessa Porto, you know, a perennial top five staple of the division, one of the best flyweights of all time, former Invicta champion. She has also, you know, been added to the roster. Liz Carmouche, I believe that was like early in the year. You know, you just look at who they brought in to the flyweight division this year. And man, they have half of, if you look at the top 10 between just everybody in MMA at flyweight, I think Bellator has half. It's like half and half with who's in five and five, you know, um, because they really have pretty much gathered everybody up and they can really you could say that they're on par with uh you know bell with ufc's too, uh their division and you know you even look at people who are just coming up and been homegrown stars for bellator denise keyholz who has been just killing it the former bell i mean i guess she's technically still the kickboxing champion even though they're not doing really <laughs> kickboxing anymore but they're kickboxing champion and um you know she's doing very well arguably could get a title shot next it's just if anybody's been a big winner, I think out of division specifically Bellator and boosting their flyaway division has been really, you know, it's been good to see. And there's everybody's tough matchups for each other. So it's going to be very exciting to see going forward. And if, especially if they do a tournament, man, that, that'll be one that you will not want to miss. Let's move on to the losers for the day, unless there are any other winners that you wanted to highlight, Drake. Yeah, I think we're good. I mean, Bellator would be my overall my, my winners for, you know, this week. <laughs> Get the Nats out of here. <laughs> uh, all right, let's head to the losers very quick. I think, you know, we, we touched on Alimale McFarlane. Uh, let's just very quickly say, where do you think she goes from here? I imagine she's probably, at most, two wins away from a rematch. They might even give her an immediate rematch, considering the fact that there are people that scored it for her, and I think that's about as much as you need i don't think it was the closest title fight in the world but what do you think happens do they give her an immediate rematch or are they going to give her a bit of time to rebuild well just on top of that you got to think that she's what the, the first she was the first and only flyweight champion 
she defended four times. If she would have won this, then she would have had the record for what most consecutive title defenses. They were just saying overall title defenses, which that didn't sound right to me, but in a row, yeah, that, that probably would have been right or whatever it is. So, I mean, just off of merit and her, you know, accomplishments and credibility alone, I think like, even if she got starched in like a, a minute or however quickly, you know, I, maybe she could have got an instant rematch there just based off of, you know, what she's done already. So, I could see it. I don't I don't necessarily want to see it because of all the new blood that has arrived, like yeah. I was just mentioning. But if they do it, and I would say, let's do it in like the first round of the tournament. So then it's okay. like, okay, at least we know there are these other people that are going to be getting it right away and we're not a little bit left confused and we can see how everything's mapped out. But yeah, I, I, I wouldn't hate it if they did that just because it would be interesting to see how Alima comes back right away. But I don't think she, if you watch her post-fight press conference, you know, she didn't seem to care too much about no mention of an immediate rematch by even anybody asking or anything like that or her own, right? She sounds like she's excited to potentially, you know, be able to fight more frequently and come in and fill in if she needs to. Like she's excited for three round fights. She handled it like all class from the former champ, really like, that's a champion right there through and through, whether she has a belt or not, just seeing how she treated it. Um, and of course she does have to recover a little bit now because of the broken nose and everything as she was saying, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to tell. I think we have to wait to see uh, what they decide to do with tournaments and stuff. I think that would really give us a better idea, but are they, hey, all- did I miss something? Did they announce a women's flyweight grand prix? No, but Scott's saying like, you know, that's probably, it'll be either them or, I don't know if you're saying bantamweight. That sounds like the two most likely. But they want a way to finish out the featherweights, of course, which is still happening. So well, I think if you're going to do a women's flyweight Grand Prix, I, I think it makes a lot of sense to put them on opposite ends of the mm. r- bracket because they are more or less your now your own. They're, they are your only two champions in that division's history. And so yeah. it, I think, I think the, the nice thing about the Grand Prix system is and I've always said this, especially when it comes to UFC and the way they market a very limited scope of fighters. It's like, you know, when <laughs> this is kind of a running joke now, but when the MMA, MMA Twitter community goes in on Zane Simon because Coach Kavanaugh decides to retweet him, like we as the MMA media who have to watch every single event are not saying that a card is going to be bad because there aren't notable fighters on it. The issue is, take take away the complete sport of it for a moment, because it's not the sports at its highest level when you don't have ranked fighters on there and title fights and valuable main events. But beyond that, look at it as, as a television entertainment product. What compulsion do I have? What's going to compel me to watch a card where I have no storylines, nothing beyond winners and losers to buy into? And the great thing about a Grand Prix is it's, it structures the story on its own, right? This is what these two are fighting for. This is what's going to happen next. And I think if you're going to do that, put Velasquez, put McFarlane on opposite ends, and you can really build a good story. Because I think they'd obviously be your two favorites. Mm. Uh, And give Alima a a cool redemption arc back to the title. Let Velasquez get a couple defenses under her belt so that we see her as a a very real long-term champion. And I think you'd have a banger of a final if things pan out. No, yeah, that's absolutely perfect, actually. I mean, yeah, it, it totally sets itself up that way, especially when you have all these new people come into, which are like making more question marks for, all right, let's see if or how legit they are by being able to take out, you know, either Juliana or Alima. So 
I think, yeah, that sets it up really well. And it's pretty much the same story as, um, you know, the welterweights when we had Rory and Lima meet in the finals too. So if, since they've done that already with those guys, they should definitely do it again here. <laughs> so we've seen that they would, would play with that. All right, let's touch very quickly on the UFC cuts. We do have to get to our UFC 256 preview. And for losers this week, I put... Uh, all the fighters getting cut because it's a rough holiday season. I hope these guys are getting some sort of Christmas check. It's a little mini severance package on the way out. We saw Yoel Romero part ways with the UFC. I don't consider him a loser uh, as much as I would a, a lot of the undercard guys getting cut because Yoel has enough star power to leverage it into something interesting, whether that's a Bellator Horizon, uh, one championship, bare knuckle. <laughs> Who knows what that's going to be? Um, I'm sure you might have some sort of insight. But before we get there, let's touch very quickly because this has been a bit of a debate on Twitter. Does Yoel Romero have star power? Because some guys are saying no, he's always been the B side, he always loses the big fights. I don't think he has the most star power, but at this point of his career, I think he could leverage his value into something sustainable or something worth fighting for. Where do you think Yoel is at? Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I don't think he's the biggest star or anything, um, but he's definitely a very notable name, a very, very notable name. I think a lot of people, you know, will know about him at this point, you know, whether it's as the big, the older Cuban guy who's still wrecking fools kind of <laughs> thing for the casuals will remember and whatnot. But um, yeah, I, I think that in terms of, you know, the all the people getting cut and who the biggest loser. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer he hears things differently to the untrained ear everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping so he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand and he knows granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done which is music to his ears Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Loser is, you know, you said maybe it's not him, but I feel like it is him simply because this narrative suddenly, mm -hmm. suddenly gets created right off of him leaving that just because Dana says, like, ah, he's older now, everyone kind of runs with it. And it's like, oh, yeah, he's kind of washed up now. When it's like, well, hold on, hold on. <laughs> you know, look at these recent fights that he's been having. Like, the evidence isn't really there, but it's happened. I mean, MMA fans, you know, the shortest term memories, maybe out of all sports fans, you know, they forget just to call it out you know, for the most part, uh, forget, you know, how, how, you know, things were just, yeah, the last fight with Adesanya wasn't great, of course, but it, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't, it was, it was both of them. It was both of their faults. Right. Uh, but he didn't look terrible. It was just, they didn't engage very much. But um, and you know, some people think he won that fight. I actually scored that one for him too, as well. But it's like I don't, I'm fine with how it played out. Um, but yeah, now you look at it, and it's like the U. It's kind of the same with Silva too. Like I, I didn't get to see that Silva versus Hall fight yet in its entirety, but people thought that he was doing very well up until you know yeah, he got dropped. Good. So 
and then he leaves and Dana says everything afterwards. He's like, yeah, we shouldn't have made that. Just makes it sound like way worse than it is. And so everyone just kind of takes his word despite seeing it. And that's if you want to talk about really bad cases of short term memory when it just happened. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I uh, I don't know. I think that he is definitely he's in a he's in a good spot because he is Yoel Romero. But I think the narrative has been made to look way worse than it really is. And people have just kind of ran with. Yeah, who, who's he's old now. You know, he still can't hang, but I don't think the evidence is there just yet for that. Fair enough. Uh, I Yeah. Do we do we have any insight? Do you have any scoops on where Yoel's future may lie? Um, well, I know what you're specifically hinting at. Uh, <laughs> so as for um, Japan type related things, um, no insights, but strong, strong belief that that will not happen mm. just because of um well let's say some behind behind business type of things so i guess maybe a little bit of insight that i do have but um also if you just look at it you know similar to silva similar to any international fighter right now uh over in ryzen they are not having international fighters come over because the risk i don't know if i'm allowed to say exactly how big but the reason is for how big the risk is but let's just say it is too big to really Mm -hmm. it's not worth gambling right having international fighters come over for you know reasons that would hurt rising and because of government stuff you know but um yeah they've been they've been doing mostly domestic fighters coming over and everything so if you were to have let's say a yoel romero come over well first of all romero silva these type of guys they're going to demand a whole lot more money than let's just say some some american prospect right so that's that's a thing in its own right but then because of the pandemic and the risks that are attached to it that's a whole entirely different thing as well just aside from the pay but also you look at silva romero these are middleweight light heavyweight type guys is presumably whichever they want to fight at also in ryzen they don't really have even with when we're things are normal the division is not full of japanese fighters or just any fighters really for the most part i don't even think they have a middleweight division but they did have a light heavyweight division when uh, yuri was there but I, I can't even remember if there were any japanese fighters in it you know so they would have to in that case bring in another person which doubles the risk even further so essentially would be very surprised if Yol ends up in Ryzen. I really don't think that will happen. Uh, that would be a big shock. But, you know, the whole crazy mega 2021 thing, which uh, is in, supposed to be in February, but the whole Floyd stuff throws a wrench in that. You know, that, that one is impossible. But <laughs> also, who knows what's going on with it because of the Floyd stuff, like I said. So, well, speaking, yeah, of, speaking of the Floyd Japan, stuff maybe but uh not rising i don't think <laughs> speaking of the floyd stuff uh i mean i wouldn't be surprised if we see yoel romero boxing on some sort of yeah. floyd undercard yeah exactly i mean I'd, well, i would i would listen I, I i love garbage uh i, I had i had two breakfast sandwiches from mcdonald's today i will a hundred percent watch you all romero box anyone on the floyd logan Maggiore, consumer of garbage yes a hundred percent a hundred percent true um beyond that i did confirm the reports that combat america is interested but i can't they haven't talked to Yoel's team yet i don't see that happening like i, I believe that they can snag tito i don't think they have the price point to snag Romero, and I'm sure there are enough interested parties. Um, let's move on really quickly because we got to get to the UFC 256 preview. Last question on our downs. Like we said, a lot of fighters getting cut right now. We've seen Matt Wyman, Mark De La Rosa, Yoel Romero, a- Anthony 
Johnson to some degree, Rachel Ostovich. There's a bunch more that have been cut. There's a bunch more coming. Uh, and I don't have many answers for this question, so I'm going to maybe go to you first and see where you're at. Who do you think from now until December 31st will we see depart from the UFC? Are there any names that stick out? I mean, <laughs> like ones that are obvious or ones that might be surprises? Because I think that some are, there's some obvious ones. Okay, well, I mean, let's start with the obvious ones. Well, I, I hate to bring this one up because really I have been a big supporter of hers since, um, you know, really since I discovered her on The Ultimate Fighter and she really, you know, came to prominence. But Randa Marcos, who, mm-hmm. you know, was on a three-fight losing streak, the first losing streak of her UFC career, um, I, th- I think that, that one is kind of a no-brainer at this point. Unfortunately, because of, you know, just regardless of the the law, the the cuts and everything, but um, in terms of big surprising guys, uh, I kind of touched on this on some other videos I did recently, but I think we'll see people in the top 10 think similar to Juicy A4Mega, right, who is clearly still a top flyweight guy, but recently hasn't done that well. What, he lost two or three in a row, but, you know, he can still hang, I think. It's, it's fair to say. But then you look at his style and how many eyeballs he really brings in. Maybe not as much as, you know, somebody who's a little bit more exciting. So then it brings me to, like, somebody similar to, let's say, a Rafael Asuncao, mm-hmm. who I think could be in trouble. Who That guy, arguably one of the most underrated fighters of all time, I think, period, just across all of MMA. Look at what he's done. But he hasn't been super exciting, doesn't talk a lot of trash, doesn't really make too much noise. And now he's lost, what, two in a row, I think. At least the Sanhagen and Garbrandt losses are very fresh. Um, just despite still being a top 10 guy, he could be in trouble. You know, people like that, I think, are who we could see. And I've seen some people throw out like, oh, Woodley's in trouble. Could see that, you know, Woodley. It hasn't looked good for him lately. So, I mean, with this all in consideration, um, but essentially, I think people along the lines of Rafael Sunset for, you know, top 10 type of guys. Okay. Let me, there's a, there's a website here, uh, the sports geek, and I don't really agree with a lot of their picks, but let, let's see what they have to say. Okay. Uh, they, Jeremy Stevens. I don't think so. I don't think so, man. He stuck Jeremy. around this long. He stuck around this long <laughs> and he's so reliable. He fights hard. Like the problem with the juicy a Formiga and a half hour Sunset is they don't have the most entertaining style. And they are gatekeepers to the degree that they could stop um, development from happening in those divisions. Right? Like Formiga's the kind of guy that at this point in his career, he's so good but not good enough that he's always going to be a roadblock from making fresh contenders. I think Bantamweight is deep enough that you still have room for a Sun Sao. I think he's at a stage of his career where he's beatable but a tough out. And so... You know, you can still you saw people that might get the rub off of him, and he can also build back a winning streak. I, I think it's tough in divisions like flyweight where, you know, if Formiga's there, you're basically screwing over the possibility of making contenders from guys ranked five on you know backwards. Yeah. Uh, Robbie Lawler, I don't think Robbie Lawler is going anywhere immediately. Yeah, he's he's kind of along the similar lines of uh. I mean, I would even say a Jeremy Stevens or like a Donald Cerrone, those guys who have been with the UFC for so long and kind of company men, you know, fair yeah. to say company men. And I think that they'll, yeah, I, I don't know. Just you look at their styles. That's a big thing. And just how reliable they've been for the UFC on paper. Yeah, it looks like he should maybe be one of those guys at this point, but everything else. 
taken into consideration. I think the Mike Perry fight was the perfect fight to kind of gauge where Robbie Lawler is at because, yeah. you know, he's been sort of gun shy for a while and he's still durable. But against a guy like Mike Perry, who, you know, in, in terms of a quality opponent, isn't where Neil Magny is and is the kind of guy that Robbie Lawler style excels against, I would have really liked to see that fight because I think it would have given us a good gauge on where Robbie Lawler is at at this point. We mentioned Sun Tsao. Junior Dos Santos, I think, could definitely be gone with a loss really? on Saturday. Um, well, you know, it's the same sort of thing that Dana White said about um, Mauricio Shogun Hua. I feel like JDS has taken enough damage that if he loses against a relatively unknown guy like uh, Cyrilli Gagne, that, and I'm sure I mispronounced that name. Uh, I like how you said it, though. Yeah. <laughs> that uh he could be out but i don't know and then the last one and this one hurts because i love her to death andrea lee is on this list mm, i don't know about that i don't know first if i first losing that at streak all. three fights in a row i think coming off of a loss to roxanne Modafferi, but she was scheduled for another fight i think if she loses one more yeah we could be having no, this conversation but i think andrea lee has a lot of upside for the ufc so no I'm yeah i, I can hold on to her yeah, no, um, I definitely agree with that. Okay, I'm going to give you one more because we still haven't gone to UFC 256. And, man, <laughs> I really like this guy from the one interaction I've had with him, but I'm sure he thinks I, I'm hating on him. Mickey Gall. Uh, <laughs> and let me say why I think Mickey Gall does not have a long tenure left in the UFC. Uh, not only is he on a really rough patch, his UFC record has not been stellar. You know, wins over CM Punk and Sage Northcutt come to mind, but he's hasn't really been the uh, he hasn't evolved the way i think he or the ufc would have liked and i said this i, I wrote an editorial and i'm that may be why he doesn't answer my texts anymore <laughs> but i wrote that uh and it wasn't a very good editorial but i i said that you know cm punk was the worst thing that happened to mickey gull and okay, i think I there's this. two <laughs> primary takes you can take there my stance is when you get into the ufc did he even have a pro fight before CM Punk? Like he I, might have been I thought he was 2-0 two, two maybe. Yeah. Yeah, that's not enough time for a UFC fighter, right? So he gets in there. He he beats CM Punk. He beats Sage Northcutt in a really tough fight. And now you have this guy who's gotten all this momentum behind him off these two huge names. And you can't go backwards with him. Mm -hmm. You have to give him tough guys because not only has he built the name value, but you're paying him. Yeah. Mickey Gall is getting paid infinitely more than guys with 2-0 records are in MMA. And, and so you, you get stuck in this corner where he can't properly develop because he's getting fed. He's getting thrown through the meat grinder because everyone in the UFC is a tough out, except CM Punk <laughs> and James Toney. But, you know, those are, <laughs> those are odd circumstances. So I don't know how long Mickey Gall is I'm gonna, for the UFC. I'm going to look at his record. But, man, Mickey Gall is really good, and I wish he had more in hindsight. He made really good money, and if his mm -hmm. primary concern is making good money for an MMA fighter, he's done so, and I, I tip my hat off to him. But if his goal is to be champion, to be the best mixed martial artist he can be, and I don't blame him because you got you shoot your shot. You get into the UFC when you can get in the UFC. Those opportunities don't come often, but I think there's an argument to be made that getting into the UFC on a one and zero, yeah, two two and zero record might have prevented him from truly being the guy he can be no yeah i remember when you wrote that and i completely agree with it because 
I mean, yeah, it's kind of hard to disagree with. I would say not just flattering you here, Shaq, but you know, it's like you just look at how it's all played out for him. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just not been good because we've seen, you know, he definitely the potential was totally there. Um, maybe, you know, just masked a little bit by the competition that he was he faced early on, of course. Because, I mean, what the one of the, the fight that he had to earn his CM Punk fight Mike was against Jackson. Mike Jackson. Yeah. It was so. 0 going into that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, it's, it sucks for him to be in that position. But at the same time, it's something you don't not take a chance on, right? And, um, you know, you mentioned Mike Perry there, too. What that Was that his last fight, even? That was so, his last fight. In, in that fight, too, I thought that he was actually outstriking Perry on the feet, which I was like... This is the thing. Like, despite yeah. <laughs> despite um, his early start, he's 4-3 and three in the UFC. 3-3 three and three if you exclude the CM Punk fight. and Yeah. Because you know that's kind of hard to measure, but he's been. Oh no, sorry. He's he's five and three. He's five and three. He beat Mike Jackson, CM Punk, Sage Northcutt. Lost a decision to Randy Brown. Beat George Sullivan, who had three more, four times as much MMA mm-hmm. experience as him. Yeah. Lost to Diego Sanchez. I do believe him when he say he had kidney failure in that because that was an abhorrent performance. That was an unusually bad performance. Yeah. Bounces back, beats Salim Dari, and despite losing to Mike Perry, who is again double his experience, uh, triple his experience, actually. He performed ably. So that's, this, this is what I'm saying. Mickey Gull is actually a really good fighter, but he's getting paid a lot, and he hasn't ca- uh, he hasn't cashed in on the upside that he possesses, I think, because he's evolving at a slower rate based on the level of competition he's been mm-hmm. put up against. So yeah. uh, are you good to go over time? Because we're already at... Oh, yeah. yeah. All right. Last reminder, guys. Please hit that subscribe button, tap the notification bell, leave a like on this video. All those acts go a long way to helping us do what we do at the channel. Super Chat donation moving forward gets all your questions, all your statements read. Donate a dollar, donate a thousand. I have my preference, but I'm good either way. Uh, (laughs) And we thank you very much for doing so. All right. UFC 256 preview. Very quickly. Let's touch on uh, a theme that I'm, I've noticed is sort of penciled through the main card, which is a bit of a changing of the guard. You've got Kevin Holland, up-and-coming superstar, versus Jacare Souza. You have Junior Dos Santos against the guy whose name I cannot correctly pronounce. Do you know what it is? Uh, I've I've heard many things. That's whatever you said was the first time I'd heard that. But I really <laughs> like. I hope it's that way. I hope it's that way. Uh, Cyril Gan is kind of how I've oh, okay. been. Uh, I'm not not totally sure. As well as, of course, the co-main event, Tony Ferguson, former interim UFC lightweight champion, Ed Kukui, the boogeyman, 12-fight winning streak, coming off of his first loss in a long time to Justin Gaethje, versus the best Charles Oliveira we have ever seen. This is a really interesting card in the sense that, you know, can these old guys, and I don't necessarily mean old in terms of age, because I imagine... Some of these guys aren't all that. I mean, Kevin Holland versus Jacare is probably the biggest gap. Um, but in terms of, you know, wear and tear, in-ring experience at a high level, you've got up-and-comers like Holland, Surreal, and Oliveira. And then you got the Jacare's, the JDS's, the Ferguson's, who have all been in that title picture for a really long time now. Which of these old guards do you think, which one is most likely to hold on to their spot against this new wave of competition. 
That is a tough question. Um, most likely, uh, I, I might, I might honestly say Jacare. I might say Jacare, which might be surprising to a lot of people because Holland has really been streaking lately. Um, and then Jacare just, you know, has slowed down, unfortunately, uh, in recent years. But you look at, you know, some of Holland's, you know, rougher fights that he's had. Um, his, his, his grappling has been a little bit in question, you know, at least his defense. You know, we've seen him on his back before against some guys. Um, I believe what he did fight Mirshard, that was one. Um, the Tiago Santos fight, uh, which that's Tiago Santos. But Tiago Santos, not known for his grappling. I remember him on his back. <laughs> Get him, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I threw the one shot so I could kill these fucking gnats. <laughs> Need a better spider there. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I just think that Jacare, if he, I mean, it's pretty much, it's always going to be the case with him if he can get a hold of, there we go. Got, Got him. Right there, right on the, oh, yep. there's another one in my eye. <laughs> I'm so over this. Oh my God. So, I don't perfect. know where they're coming from either. Oh God. Okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Why, why is Jacare in your words going to wipe the floor with Kevin Holland? Derailed. Hey, no. <laughs> Derailed by the Nats. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just the case with Jacare gets mostly anybody. If he gets a hold of you, you know, it's it's going to be a wrap. Um, and, you know, even in that, uh, the, the Jan Blahovic fight, which was horrible, <laughs> horrible, by the way, Jacare versus Blahovic, very, not much happened. Um, a bigger guy that Jacare really couldn't get down, which was more impressive, I think, in Blahovic's mm-hmm. regard than for Jacare not being able to pull things off. But I think he... He can definitely get Holland down, and if he does, I I would not be shocked at all if he finds a submission. But yeah, I don't know. I, I was I was leaning a little bit towards JDS there at first, but he, he, his chin's fading. His yeah. chin's fading. I think. Yeah, I I think that's a very fair assessment. I think Jacare, you know, for however much he slowed down, he's still very durable. It's not like mm-hmm. he's getting knocked out from fight to fight. I just don't think he has quite the output that he used to in terms of being able to get people to the ground, sustain them. I don't know if that's age. I don't know if the rest of the divisions have maybe caught up in the grappling aspect a little bit. I mean, Jack Romanson was a phenomenal grappler. Let's not sell Jack Romanson short. Almost yeah. almost got him in the Joker team. Yeah. Uh, and then had like that, that weird like reverse guillotine looked like a dragon sleeper or something. Um, <laughs> Tony Ferguson versus Charles. And I agree with you. I think Holland probably has the toughest out here. Very quickly on... Tony Ferguson versus Charles Oliveira. Interesting, right? Because, you know, Tony Ferguson is the super well-rounded, has a wrestling background. But when I think Tony Ferguson, Darce Choke aficionado, I love that. But I think when I think of Tony Ferguson, no matter how good his submission is, I think about the pressure, the in-your-face, the elbows, the knees. It's, it's the sort of forward, it's the sort of intensity that forces people to fall into his grappling game. And it's interesting because Charles Oliveira is someone who's primarily been almost a grappling exclusive fighter, has sort of taken on some Tony Ferguson flavors, is throwing the knees, (laughs) is throwing the elbows, is using his length. So they kind of mirror each other in an interesting way. So I guess my question for you is, who has closed the gap more? Is Charles Oliveira striking closer to Tony Ferguson's grappling than Tony for or sorry, closer to Tony Ferguson's striking than Tony's grappling is to Charles's. Uh, I think it would be Oliveira closing the gap for the striking. Um, I don't, you know, not a lot of people I think can come close to Oliveira's uh, grappling, which 
it feels weird to say that because we have we have seen him submitted before. You know, like Anthony Pettis submitted him, which super weird to think about in hindsight. Um, I'm not sure if anyone else has submitted him actually, but off the top of my head, that's the first one that comes to mind. So I mean, I think Tony probably could catch him if we're just going to go based off of you know if, if Pettis could do it. I'm sure that Ferguson could do it as well, um, just because of all the scrambles and ability that mm-hmm. Tony has to catch catch things from anywhere pretty much. But so can Oliveira. So <laughs> I'm very excited to see it hopefully hit the ground. But man. In terms of the striking, Oliveira has really just turned into something, man, with the combinations he's mixed in and the d- diversity in strikes. Like that Kevin Lee fight was just something to behold. Like, just, just show how far he's come, you know, because really, this was the guy who got, got what was it against Cub Swanson? He got punched and then fell down like three seconds later. <laughs> you know, just like, and then that 40 second fight against Max Holloway, where he, initially was believed to have torn his esophagus like just the weird moments that <laughs> Oliveira's career has had and now he is a legitimate title threat this guy looks so good right now I think that yeah he can absolutely hang with Tony in the striking now blow for blow you know elbow for elbow spinning back heel kick whatever they're gonna throw at each other uh, it just is a matter of yeah if if Ferguson can out pressure him you know because I think that in terms of the volume typically in the cardio tony is one of the hardest guys to beat in that area so um that's what Oliveira has to worry about and i think that we could see him even counter that with going to his grappling depending on how comfortable or uncomfortable he gets in the striking but he his striking has just come so far now that we've seen he doesn't even need to submit people anymore so it's crazy how how well-rounded he's become yeah, and I know a lot of the MMA media likes to stay impartial, and you know I have no favorites in terms of I've actually never talked to Tony or Charles, but I will say in terms of uh, my MMA fandom, I would like to see Tony Ferguson get the win here, and it's strictly because I think Charles Oliveira, if nothing, has proven an ability to reinvent himself and improve, bounce back from losses perhaps better at anyone at this point. Like, it's crazy when you think about how many times we've looked at Charles Oliveira as a potential title contender, only for him to fall short and be written off. And then he keeps coming back and he keeps getting better. And he's young enough, I think, to still make a run for the title down the line. Tony Ferguson, he took a lot of damage against Justin Gaethje. He takes a lot of damage in all of his fights, right? Anthony Pettis dropped him. Lando Venata almost got him out of there. So it's like... It's hard for me to imagine that Tony has a whole lot more left in terms of longevity in the sport. I would really like to see Tony Ferguson get the win because, especially if Habib is not coming back, that division is wide open. His next fight, you imagine, would have to be against Dan Hooker, Michael Chandler, Conor McGregor. He's he's no more than two wins away from a title fight, I think, including this one. So he wins this one depending on whether or not Habib comes back. And if Habib, here's the thing, if Tony wins and Habib comes back, Habib doesn't want to fight Connor. Habib doesn't want to fight Dustin. Habib's not going to fight Justin because he's beaten all of them. Mm-hmm. And if the UFC doesn't have something special lined up for him, we might get Habib versus Tony. So I want to see Tony Ferguson get <laughs> that or GSP. <laughs> that or GSP at this point, right? So I want to see Tony get the win because I think this is kind of his last hurrah. He can do something great with it. Uh, and But Charles Oliveira, without a doubt, is one of the guys, if not the guy of the future. Last thing, of course, the main event we got to touch on briefly. Davison Figueredo, funny circumstance. When you think about it, he starts the year by missing weight for yeah. championship fights. And he ends the year making flyaway twice in three weeks. 
how much of a chance do you give Brandon Moreno in this fight after seeing what Davison did to Alex Perez? Oh, I mean, I think that Moreno, he's got a chance in pretty much every fight, man. Like this guy, he's kind of, he's not, he's not really the ultimate underdog. I mean, he kind of was at first when he came into the UFC, but um, yeah, he's just dangerous everywhere it has proven to be, but so is Figueredo. So I I don't know. I think that he has a chance as did Perez. I think that, you know, Perez did have a chance in that one, but man, Figueredo is really proving to be a guy who he, we knew you know, if you were paying attention to him before he won the title and got to the title fight with Benavidez, the first one, you know, he was kind of a special guy at flyweight in terms of being able to finish and primarily knock you out, uh, which is something we don't see super frequently at flyweight, at least the way that he's been doing it. But he also can submit you. I mean, that submission, just the transition to get there against Perez was absolutely beautiful. I loved that. Um, so, yeah, he's he's a big problem, but I think that maybe... The short notice might help Moreno compared to if he was to game plan for it a bit, uh, just because, you know, maybe less less time to worry about it, overthink things and all that. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know how good I would say his chances are. I think there's there's always a chance, right? You're saying there's a chance <laughs> to quote Dumb and Dumber. But, uh, yeah, Figueredo, uh, he, he's – I don't know who I'd, I'd pick against him right now unless Cejudo comes back. <laughs> Yeah, that's totally fair. Uh, Guys, that is all the time we have today. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for engaging in the live chat. Uh, Quick reminder, hit that subscribe button, tap that notification bell, leave a like on this video. We're heading towards our New Year's Eve goal, so we appreciate you guys doing what you can to help us get there. Uh, Drake, it's been a pleasure having you guys. If you don't know, if you're not if if you're sort of sitting in the mainstream of the MMA bubble, Drake Riggs is, if not already, well on his way to being the expert in North America on Japanese MMA. Uh, one of the best when it comes to women's MMA, too. He, he's got you covered in ways a lot of these big players don't. Uh, way more knowledgeable than dorks like me are ever going to be. Drake, where can people find your work? Well, too kind, sir. I appreciate that greatly. Um, Yeah, you can find... I post everything on Twitter. So at Dre Griggs underscore, that's my handle there for Twitter and Instagram as well, where, you know, I still post some work stuff, but it's, it's pretty mixed between, you know, personal life and then that too. But uh, yeah, at Dre Griggs underscore writing for Miami news, the scrap doing video stuff for the body lock fan site every now and then. And uh, maybe, maybe adding some here as we go into 2021, we will see what happens, but um, yeah, everything's on the Twitter essentially. So that's the spot you guys. There we go. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Big shout out as always to our audio listeners for really sort of being the foundation of our podcast and letting us do what we do over here at YouTube. Follow me at Fight Shack Fight on Twitter. Don't bother me on Instagram. That's for my personal <laughs> life, but you can follow if you're curious. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Much love. We'll catch you next week. And someone told me I got to be more enthusiastic with my crappy outro. So stay tuned for everything fightful and so delightful. Peace out. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. This is the story of the one. 
As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.